Is the Air Max One vastly underrated in the sneaker pantheon? We'll find out this week on Fire Footwear. What's up, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of Fire Footwear, a sneaker podcast. As always, this is your host, Matt Freights. You can call me Matty Ice. You can call me the Iceman. I don't care what you call me. I am just glad that you are here. I want to welcome all the new listeners who have come into this community surrounding Fire Footwear. We welcome you with open arms. And anybody who has been listening since well before Fire Footwear was a thing, I want to say thank you because your patronage and your listening ear means a lot. The more time that goes by and the more time that I think about my life and become interested perspective lately, the more I realize how special this show is and how special your listenership is. So I just want to thank you out front. And maybe you're tired of hearing me say that, but every single episode, I'm going to give a shout out to you, the listener, because without you, there is no show. Last week, we talked about Jeff Staple. Jeff Staple to me is a very, very influential person in sneaker culture. And I think that he is 100% responsible or mostly responsible for how popular sneaker culture is today. Some may argue there's a lot of other people that maybe have had a little bit more of an influence on where sneakers are today. But if you go back in history and think about what Jeff Staple did with that OG pigeon dunk, the release, the riots, and being on the front page of the New York Post, I think that there's undoubtedly a correlation between the way sneaker culture is in popular culture today and that being a starting point because sneaker culture was sort of a niche thing. People did it, but you didn't see it as prominently displayed as it is today. Being a part of sneaker culture, I think it's very important to understand the past. And I talked about this last week in that no matter what you do, whether it's in sneakers or whether it's something else that you love or just in your life in general, if you want to really understand where you are today, you have to go back and have an appreciation for the past. You have to understand the history that comes before you. And again, you can apply that to so many different things. I think when sneakerheads today, and there's a lot of young people in this game, as a 40-year-old man, I'm definitely on the older side being in this game. I came into the game or reinserted myself into the game a lot later in life. I was in my mid-30s, now being 40 years old. I know that I'm on the older side as it relates to sneaker culture. I think if you look at the age disparity between the people that are in it and the people that have been in it for a long time, I think that there's probably like 20 years difference between me and your average sneakerhead. Maybe that's a little bit crazy, but I think it's definitely a young person's game. And if you think about it, the more time that goes by between the release of the Air Jordan 1 in 1985 to now, younger people become further distanced from that moment in time. And therefore, they become further distanced from other moments in time that have led to us getting to where we are today. And I think that that release of the OG Pigeon Dunk is one of those particular items or particular moments in time. Dunk SBs and just dunks in general are really, really hype right now. There has been so many releases. They've had this resurrection. But back in the day in 2005 when that OG Pigeon released, it was really in the heyday of what people know as far as Nike SB releases. The most hype releases back in the day in that particular era. There's no doubt that some of those are the most wanted, hyped, and unicorn of any dunk releases if you think about it in terms of history. How many people are going to remember a lot of the ones that come out today? I'm not sure. But before all of that, Tinker Hatfield had his impression on sneaker culture. If you are listening, you probably know who Tinker Hatfield is, and you probably make him synonymous with the Air Jordan 3. The story of Tinker Hatfield and how he basically rescued Jordan brand is certainly well known. 
Tinker Hatfield came in because Michael Jordan was very unhappy with the Jordan 2. The way Nike tried to design that, they went for exclusivity, they went for quality, and they went for that really fresh Italian leather. But it didn't translate to Michael liking it on the court. And having signed a pretty big deal with them, already knowing that he wanted to go to Adidas, I think that they needed to do something. They needed to take a drastic step. I don't think many people understand that Tinker Hatfield had his hands in sneaker culture a year prior to that, or actually probably a handful of years prior to that. Tinker Hatfield rescued Jordan brand, but it was because of prior successes that allowed him this opportunity. Now, he was hired at Nike in 1981, but he was not hired to design sneakers. He was hired to do other things. His background was in architecture, very, very similar to Virgil Abloh. And it's interesting to think about those two names because they're really synonymous with some of the most hype designers ever. He designed shoes on the side when he was first employed by Nike and he was sketching them out. And these are now famous sketches that we've seen, but he's doing this on the side. It's something that he's very passionate about. He's taking his love of architecture. And what is that? It's design. It's thinking about where things are going to go, how you would design the aesthetic look of something. And that's really what sneakers are. So there's not that big of a jump to go from architecture to sneaker design. And then he was called in to design a shoe. In 1986, he was called upon to design a shoe and he showed them what he had created or one of the things that he had created. And at that time, Nike was really falling behind or I guess was allowing other brands to catch up to them in the sneaker landscape. They needed to take a risk. Prior to that, the Nike Air technology that they had created had never been seen outside of a shoe. It had always been inside the outsole of a shoe. It's technology that you felt but you didn't see because aesthetically, do you really want to see that? Tinker Hatfield understood that Nike needed to take a risk. And one day he was in Paris and he's looking at the Center Georges Pompidou. I don't even know if I'm saying that correctly. I probably butchered that. But it's a very, very famous building in Paris. And the way that that building is designed is its internals are on its external. And it's almost like taking the human body and taking all of our organs and putting it on the outside. It was a design choice made intentionally because it was showing what is normally seen inside of a building outside. The functional aspects of a building shown on the outside rather than the inside. And this was the moment in time that Tinker Hatfield knew what he had to do. He knew that Nike needed to take a risk and they needed on their next big shoe to show that air technology. And the Air Max 1 was the first shoe to have visible air technology. That air bubble that we now know on so many different shoes that we see all the time. It was because of the Air Max 1. Nike AirTech had never been seen until then. And this was a very, very bold move on their part. The 80s were bright, they were colorful, they were unique. And all of the old silhouettes that Nike had leaned on, such as the Tailwind and the Cortezes, they were obviously solid, but they were waning in terms of the flashiness of the 80s. And really, it's all about fads. And the 80s were such a unique time. If you think about all the fashion, all the music, all the shoes, everything was just sort of out there. And it really was building upon the 60s and 70s and then the 80s and then the 90s had their own feel. And now I feel like we come to a place of stability in terms of what things look like. We're not seeing too much deviation. There's not, oh my goodness, so much flash. But March 26, 1987, the Air Max 1 released and it released with other shoes. I think that's a piece of information that I didn't fully know. The Air Trainer 1, the Air Sock, the Air Revolution and the Air Safari. And it became a staple for athletic wear from then on. My father-in-law was here for Christmas and he was looking through my sneaker book and he looked at the Air Max 1 and said, I remember having those. I remember buying those and we ran in those. And I thought, this is crazy because this so predates me. I mean, I was four years old when this came out. That's what I'm saying though. It's like sneaker culture today wasn't nearly what it was back in the day. People bought shoes for function. And Air Maxes to me were the shoe that I think a lot of people were wearing to run and I never really associated them with that. 
But the 80s had a huge boom in exercise, a huge boom in fitness, and the Air Max was 100% a part of that. But it's this air bubble. Think about that for a second. It's not that crazy to think about an air bubble being on a shoe today, but because of that particular decision, because of Tinker Hatfield's ability to take something he saw in a building, use his background in architecture, and then put it on a shoe, that's where we are. And it has been a staple in the sneaker lineup forever, especially for Nike. Now, the interesting part to me is there have been some hyped releases. If you think about the 2002 Atmos design, the Air Max was really a solid shoe. It just continued to put out functional shoe after functional shoe after functional shoe. And it really wasn't until 2002 that it got their first collab on it. And that was Atmos. And Atmos has been synonymous with a lot of great collabs. But think about 1987 to 2002, there had been collaborations prior to that with Jordan brand. There had been some collaborations with Nike Dunks headed up until that time, or at least we were getting to that point. And so for the Air Max to be around for so long and be such a staple, just like the Air Force One, and then finally getting its own, I guess, time to shine in terms of collaborations. And Atmos has nailed a bunch of them. And since then, you've had a ton of other brands have their fingerprint on it with Pata, with Clot, DJ Clark Kent, and Para. They've made some really famous collabs and there have been some absolutely incredible shoes that have been designed of the Air Max One. But if you look at it today, Jordan brand 100% dominates the Nike landscape. And really, there's nothing wrong with that. Jordan brand has a ton of lore. It sells. Nike, at the end of the day, is trying to make money, and they're going to sell a whole bunch of shoes. Air Maxes don't really push the way that Jordans do, the way that Dunks do. They're very, very solid. They're very much like Air Force Ones. If you go on the sneakers app right now, you could probably get yourself a pair of Air Max Ones. You can probably get yourself a pair of Air Force Ones. Even if they've been a collaboration, even if they have some special colorway, they're not shoes that have this mega hype around them because they have become so synonymous with consistency. And that's the thing, consistency. New Balance was always known for consistency. And nowadays they are known for hype because they have taken that leap. Much like the Air Max One in 1987, New Balance is taking a risk, or they tried to take a risk by collaborating with people that wanted to put some craziness on them in terms of what New Balance has always been known for. Different color palettes, different materials, just going a little bit out of what has been the comfort zone for New Balance. That's what Air Max did for Nike. The Air Max One saved Nike in a way because it put them out in the forefront in terms of sneakers. People were buying Nikes now. And then the Air Jordan 3. So those two things combined set Nike on this trajectory to where we are today. And one of those shoes, the Jordan, because it has been synonymous with Michael Jordan, has taken off and makes billions of dollars every year. The Air Max One, much like the Air Force One, just kind of consistently sells. People like to wear them. They're a great everyday shoe. They're a great set of beaters if you want to have a pair, especially the ones that aren't really hyped. And it's just really fascinating to me how all of this came about. Tinker Hatfield will always be given the nod for the Air Jordan 3 and so many other designs after that, the Air Jordan 11. But if it wasn't for the opportunity to create the Air Max, I don't think that he would actually be able to be known for the Air Jordan 3. Because he hit such a home run by taking such a risk, we sneaker culture and sneaker heads get visible air bubbles in so many things. And the Air Max 1 started a huge trend to which every single year on Air Max Day, we get a brand new Air Max silhouette. Really can't say that for a lot of other shoes. And yeah, maybe because the consistency of the other brands in terms of selling doesn't really warrant, you're not going to get a lot of new Jordan silhouettes because the old retros are the ones that sell. My point is, the Air Max 1 was another one of those moments in time that I think people forget. If you're new to this game and you don't understand the history, go back and understand the history. Go back and look up Tinker Hatfield. See all the things that he had his hand on. 
and see how the Air Max One was influential in creating what we know today and has definitely had a major stamp on sneaker culture today. So the Air Max One is definitely an interesting read and interesting to research, but this week I'm getting a little bit emotional with you. My son, Mini Ice, turned three years old. And I wanna bring you back a little bit, give you a little bit of insight into who I am and how I sort of came about in this. If you go back to March of 2020, the world was a different place. Prior to the middle of March, we were living the life that we were always used to. And I, at that time, was expecting my first child. I knew that my life was going to change. I was very, very excited, but also very, very nervous. Matty Ice wasn't a thing back then. And as soon as my son was born, something changed in me. As soon as I looked into those eyes, I knew that I needed to be the best version of myself no matter what, because as a father and as a parent, it was incumbent on me to show him that he needed to be his best self and that that best self could be anything that he wanted to. And as the pandemic hit and I found myself at home, I found myself taking care of my son and being a little bit more present in my life. So many avenues opened up for me. And ever since my son was born, I have started to further and further embrace who I am inside. The person Matty Ice isn't just a character, it's really who I am. It's the embodiment of what I've always wanted to be, but I suppressed. And maybe you can relate to that. But my son being born and celebrating that this week, coupled with turning 40 a couple of weeks ago, it's been a very, very introspective time for me. And I have found myself thinking about the past and trying to put perspective on things. My son is the greatest thing that I will ever create. Every single day that I look at him, I know that I did something right. And I know that I'm going to continue to try to do right by him every step of the way. As a parent, you're never perfect. I think sometimes society will have you believe that you need to be perfect to be a great parent, and that's not true at all. Being a parent is about trial and error. You're gonna have good days and you're gonna have bad days. I remember when my son was a newborn, I felt like I didn't know what I was doing. But those days that I felt like I nailed it, man, I really felt like I nailed it. But I always knew that as my son got older, I would become a better father. I didn't do well in connecting with him as a baby. I couldn't somehow connect with a person or a human being that I couldn't physically speak to or connect with. And as my son has gotten older and he has become more vocal, he's become more engaged in the world. He has become more engaged in my world. I have found myself becoming better and better every day. And that energy gets put into this show. My son keeps me young. Maybe sometimes kids are a pain in the ass and they definitely push your buttons, but his energy, his life is definitely something that I get through osmosis. And what's great about that is because I feel so young, I'm able to put so much energy into this show. And I'm able to do that because I know that at the end of the day, I want to show my son what he can do. I want to be able to give something to him. I want to be able to hand something to him like this show or the Matty Ice Media Network and let him know he can do anything that he wants and he can be anything that he wants. I thank you for indulging me this week because it has been sentimental. So, Mini Ice, I wish you the happiest of birthdays. Thank you for being a part of my life. Thank you for allowing me to be your father. It is the greatest privilege that I could ever imagine and ever ask for, and I will always, always, always be so proud to be your father. Now, we're gonna do something new this week. I wanna add a little bit of flair to the show. There's a lot of sneaker releases every single week, and while we, this show, do not talk about them ad nauseum the way other shows do, and that's no shade on other shows, it's just not what I wanna be doing, I think that it is important to recognize that there is no sneaker culture without the actual shoes themselves. So, I'm going to debut a brand new segment that we are going to do every single week, and that is the release of the week.
release of the week, where I'm going to highlight an intriguing sneaker release for this particular week. It's not about hype. It's not about a flex. It's just about fire shoes and giving love to a shoe that I think you, the listener, should be a little bit hip to. So we're talking about Air Maxes, and we've talked about and focused on the Air Max 1. There are other very famous Air Max silhouettes. One of them is the Air Max 97. If you are familiar with that particular history, and we're going to dive into that as this month goes along, you're probably familiar with the Air Max 97 Silver Bullet. It always comes up in like the top 10 best Air Max 97s of all time, or sometimes even on the top 50 greatest shoes. It's a very, very recognizable shoe. A lot of people want it, and they did a re-release, I want to say last year, maybe even the year before of it. Well, coming on the heels of that, this particular week on March 7th, the Air Max 97 Gold Bullet will be releasing. I almost see it as like the brother or sister to the Silver Bullet, and that's one of the most famous 97s. So if you want to have a piece of history, the Gold Bullet Air Max 97 is my release of the week. I think it actually looks pretty cool. Air Max 97s outside of the Watherspoons, they really aren't something that I can pull off. It depends on the colorway, but you know what? I can recognize a fire shoe when I see one. So how do you feel about the Air Max 1? Do you think that it's underrated? Is it something that is a staple in your sneaker collection? I would love to hear from you. Follow the show on Instagram, at FireFootwearPod is the handle for that. Reach out, follow, send me a DM. I honestly connect with a lot of people there, so it's a great, great place to get in touch with me. The show is on Facebook. Just search Fire Footwear, a sneaker podcast. Make sure to follow the page there. If you want to find the show on Twitter, at FireFootwearPod is the handle to do that. If you want to find me on Twitter, at Maddie Ice Freights is the handle to do that. This show is now on YouTube. You can find Fire Footwear, a sneaker channel on YouTube. We just released the trailer. I'm going to be filming some videos very, very soon and hope to have weekly or bi-weekly content for you. It is an extension of this show. It is not going to be a retread. So please go find that on YouTube. You can find the link to the YouTube channel in the show notes for this particular episode. Click it, hit subscribe. If you are listening on Apple and Spotify, don't forget to hit follow. Don't forget to leave us a review. It's very, very important. We want to keep trending. We want to keep charting. And it's how we are continuing to build a community. And if you have any comments or questions for me, email the show. Firefootwearpod at gmail.com is the email address to do that. I want to thank you for listening this week. I hope that this finds you well. I hope that this finds you safe. And again, I want to thank you for listening. And I want to thank everybody who is brand new to this. We are building a community. I cannot wait for the future. And you know what? We're going to do this same time next week. This is Fire Footwear. The opinions and viewpoints expressed on Fire Footwear are those of Matt Freights and his guests and not necessarily those of the Matty Ice Media Network. Fire Footwear is exclusively owned by Matt Freights and is brought to you by the Matty Ice Media Network.